And so we believe there's a balance. We believe that, that women and men have very uh, unique roles, that they are equal but not identical, and that God shaped us differently, that he made us differently, but that we are both called to rule. We are both called to have dominion and authority. We're both called to lead, uh, but we are not shaped the same. Our roles in the church and in leadership are not the same in our families. They're not the same. It's crazy to think that physically, you know, you know we're not the same. Emotionally, we're not the same, but then our roles would be the same. Well, they're not. They're just not. And, um, you know, and so that's where we're trying to, as we, as we speak about women and men, we're not going to get into a lot of that today uh, specifically, you know, but the reason we're having the women's conference is because we do really want women to feel empowered to lead. You know, we do, and we don't want that, we don't, and that shouldn't threaten men because their role is so different, it's so unique, and it's so, it's great that they have both. It's kind of hot in here. Is it hot to anyone else? I'm kind of feeling hot. All right, good. I'm just feeling really hot, you know, and so I'm just going to take this off real quick. It's okay. I know, ladies, I want to cause you to stumble. But hey, look at here. The more conference. Yes, sirree. Give me a heart of a woman. That's what I'm talking about. I'll take a T-shirt instead. I feel sorry for some poor woman. I'm stretching her shirt right now. Liz, she told me this is for you afterwards, so come and get it. But um, anyway, um. I can put my microphone in now because I did my little trick, the shirt. But, uh, you know, so that's why, you know, and I appreciate Lex saying that because one of the goals that we have at River City Church is for freedom, period, for us all to be operating the gifts of the Spirit, for us all to be functioning in roles that we feel freedom in, in roles that glorify God, in roles. Why is everyone laughing still, Derek? Why is everyone freaking laughing at me? My shirt's messed up? What's wrong? I am cute. I'm cute as a button. But anyway, you know, but, but last week I talked about, you know, it, it's gotten lopsided. You know, whenever God told, you know, Adam to rule over, it became a mess. Because men, whenever they hear rule over, they mean like, I'm going to crush you and you're going to serve me and you're going to like it kind of attitude. Because we're selfish and we don't do things well and we're just jerks a lot of the time. And so we've really messed things up. And, um, you know, last week when I was talking about Eve, I want to be clear that I, I communicated that when Eve fell, the, you know, the, the, the serpent tempted her where her heart was weak. And we know that that is common, you know, struggle common to us all, that wherever we're weak, we know that he's like a devouring lion. He'll come in and try to, you know, get us. And, um, and Eve, where she was weak, is she wanted to please her father. But make no mistake that she... She knew and had all the information and was, was given everything from her father to know that what she was doing was wrong. It was very wrong. And she made a choice to deliberately choose another plan than his. And light up. Basically, she didn't trust him. And she demonstrated that, you know, based on her decision making. Kelly Brown, how are you doing? Kelly's from Colorado. She used to be a young life leader with me. She's another woman I made feel empowered and victory guys. Yeah, there we go. I know. Well, usually when you come, you know, I'm off speaking at some, some foreign land at some, you know, powerful, massive mega church somewhere. But um, it's, good. it's good that you're here. But I'm talking about men this week. Sorry. But uh, last week, you get the CD. Kelly's a good friend. She works at Trail West up at, in a Young Life camp. But um, anyway, um, what I was saying is that for Adam and Eve both, what's relevant to us about the fall is... That we fell, that we messed things up, 
and that things are never going to be the same until Jesus returns, until we're with him. And we're going to struggle in this relationship that we have, men and women, working together to promote the cultural mandate. And the cultural mandate is to bring forth the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. You know, socially, economically, uh, through the gospel, spiritually, physically, bringing his kingdom to come, all of those things. But the tension that we live in now as men and women, because of the fall, is that instead of trying to rule over and have dominion over the earth, we fight and we try to have dominion over each other. And so men end up oppressing by trying to strain control in an effort to stay in control of the situation. And women try to break through and liberate in an effort to try, to try and stay in control. And that's the issue. And so last week I talked about, you know, to women and to men about, hey, women, you need to rule. You're made with the cultural mandate, you know, sewn into you to, to lead and to, to have power. But men, we also have a unique role to the women that we're responsible for. And I want to address that today. And what does it look like then to be in a married relationship or in a relationship or just in a group as a man? What does my role of leadership look like? And it's not rocket science. It's a very, very basic talk. But it is going to convict you. It convicted me. It convict, Paul said, you know, Paul's not even here. He's weeping somewhere in the back because... You know, but, but the reality is, is that, you know, we, we all struggle with this. So when you hear me saying this, just know that I'm not, you know, last, last service, Laura was here, so I couldn't lie. I'll probably lie a little bit this service to make myself look good. But, um, but still, I just don't get it right. I never get it right. And I am in the same struggle that you are in. So don't hear me talking at you. This is a, a sermon that's for all of us. But, but Christ was very clear. Paul communicates to us, you know, guys, you want to know how to lead? Well, let me tell you how to lead. And he uses the, the book of Ephesus or the church of Ephesus as a backdrop to tell us about this. And this is a very famous verse. You might have heard it at weddings or whenever you're hearing Christian leadership taught, you'll hear this, these verses. And normally you hear the verse begin with uh, having to do with, um, you know, husband and wives equally submit to each other. Now, before I go any further, you need to know this. There's Paul. You feeling better, buddy? Okay, good, good. Yeah, he's, yeah, we know you're. Sad because you're not a good husband like me. But that's okay. We both struggle, brother. We're in it together. I got you. I got you right here. Right here. I'm with you. Anyway, um, you know, so I forgot what I was saying. I have no clue where I am now. But, um, but what, else, what else was I saying? Oh, yeah, these verses. Normally where the people start with these verses is at the top where it talks about equally submit to each other and then it talks about women, you should submit to your husbands, da 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 Well, but I didn't even include these verse, those verses today. Not because I want to avoid them, but because I want to talk to men. And men, you need to quit starting with, oh, I'm a leader of the family, so you need to submit. No, 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 no. That's between the women and God. It's not your job to make them submit. That's not what it says. Your job is to lead in a way that Christ tells us to lead. The response of women in that environment, guess what will happen? They'll submit. And when I say submit, I'm not going to go into what that means, all that. But it means that they will love and serve and rule and have power and be a strong force with you as as long as you are creating an environment as Christ communicates for us to create. So I've left out the first bit because it's to women. And today's talk as I want to address men and their leadership. And we're, we're short on time, so I'm going to try to breeze through some of this. But, um, but I also want to say, if you're single, this, this talk is for you also, because it talks about our responsibility as Christians and how we're to react and how we're to respond in groups and serving and loving other people. And this is what the, verse said, the verses say in Ephesians 5, 25 to 30. Husbands, 
love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I could end there. I, that is where I could end. I thought about ending there. Because that's just, that's the bottom line. If we loved our wives as Christ loved the church, everything would be awesome. Great. It would be wonderful. But he goes on. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church because we are members of this body. You know, and one of the realities, guys, is when you read that, you're like, oh boy, Christ loved the church like perfectly. How am I supposed to follow that? How am I supposed to do that? Well, you can't. You suck at it. You're never going to do it, okay? Just like the ladies last week. You can't do it on your own. That's why we need Jesus. Jesus is the only one who makes it possible for us to love this way, to serve this way, to be this way as guys. And so it's not a program. I'm not giving you a formula today to go out and start these new things. I'm giving you a principle on how to lead. And so, guys, you can either take hold of what I'm going to tell you today and change to be more like Jesus and laying your life down and serving and sacrificing your own needs for your wife, or you can continue to be a jerk. Those are your two options. You can keep being a jerk, selfish, selfishly motivated, in it for yourself, out for your own desires, separating and oppressing your wife, or you can be like Jesus. Those are your two options. Those are the only two options that you have. And so we're going to move into, well, what does it look like? What does it look like then to lead like Jesus, to be like Jesus? Well, first I want to show you an illustration. I want to give you an illustration of what it looks like to not be like Jesus, okay? Because many of us, I was watching lots of YouTube videos on... Um, on greed last night. And it's difficult for men because in a capitalistic environment, we're told, you know, that's what runs our country is greed. Greed is good. I mean, there's a great clip. And um, this, this is a great clip where he's talking about the value of greed. Greed is what makes us want more. Wanting more is what makes us work hard. Working hard is what makes jobs for people, employs people. And it's just this whole thing on greed. Well, it's difficult for men in this environment and women in this environment, but I'm talking to men, to have the idea, well, how do I want and get and go for it as a man in the business? And then when I come home, Want and get and go for it with my wife. You're talking to me to sacrifice and serve. Well, if I did that in the business world, well, I'd get swallowed up and I'd fail. And so it's not easy, is it? It's difficult. And so, again, that's some of the reason we have a, a difficult time, a hard time at doing this. But anyway, this is my wife, Laura, and this is uh, to represent her. Okay, you know, and before you're a Christian, you know, one of the things that the world teaches you is that whenever you rule or lead in general, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, hey, buddy, come on along with me. Come on, what are you doing? Let's go get some dinner. You know, and she's kind of your buddy. She's your partner or whoever you work with. These, these principles translate all over the place. You can use them in seminars. You can sell them, whatever. But anyway, or we lead, so it's like this. She's like a buddy, you know, and you kind of control. You're supposed to have dominion and authority, so they can't ever rise above you. You know, they can't ever be perceived as being up here. You know, a vice president can never be perceived as being up here. You, know, you got to always, so you got to always kind of have a pressure. There's a level of oppression that has to occur, you know. So this is your wife. You're kind of hanging out. This is, you kind of stay in control. This way, you can train her up, and she can be who she's supposed to be and like she wants to be. But then all of a sudden, you become a Christian. Then what happens? Well, things change, don't they? Yeah, they do. They change. Because now, instead of being filled with the world, your wife is filled with the Spirit. And so... She's different than the world. So you're called to live in a different way. So the pink balloon represents my wife again. 
And so now it's just, it's a lot more difficult, isn't it? Because she's filled with the spirit and you're trying to learn it as a guy and you want to empower her because what are the things that should happen when you're leading well? There should be freedom. There should be growth. There should be loyalty. There should be excitement. There should be um, all the things that Jesus does to the church. You know, he empowers, embraces, and loves, and you know, all those things without, you know, allowing her to become who that she was created to be. In the same way, whenever we lead effectively, we should be doing the same thing. But this is what happens with Christian dudes. I've seen it all the time. It's all of a sudden, they get a wife, and they're like, all right, I know what it's supposed to be like. You're supposed to submit. And I know that that's, that applies to us now, because we're Christians. And so I'll tell you what, you need to be free, but you just need to kind of keep things under control, all right, baby? You know what I'm talking about? So you can lead, you can go for it. I know you're filled with the spirit, right? Oh, but then you're back down, because you can't go higher than me. And so then you watch around like this, trying to control everywhere she goes, and trying to do all these things. And it's more difficult, because now we're in a real problem, because we want them to be free. We want them to have freedom in Christ. We want them to be growing in their gifts. We want them to be... Pursuing their goals and aspirations. But somehow, you know, they're supposed to help me. So I just got to kind of stay in control. Because we like to stay in control as guys. We like to. But then it gets really messy. I'll tell you when it gets really messy. It's whenever you have kids. Because then your life really takes on, takes on another level of trying to stay in control. Because when, when you have kids, you try to stay, stay in control. It is a nightmare. <laughs> You have all these kids, you get excited because all of a sudden you can have guilt-free sex. Yeah, this is the consequence. And all of a sudden, you're told at church, I got to say, you got to be submit. Boy, you better submit. You better get down. You better be obey me. We're going to church. Uh-oh, we're going to church. Look at us. Happy family. Look at me. And submission. All them below me, following me like they should be. And then you get back in the car. It's like, God, you want to go do this? Boy, you better shut up. You better get the girl. Quit screaming. Quit yelling. And before you know it, you know, your life's a mess. Your life's a mess because you can't stay in control. You can't lead like that. That's not how you find freedom. <laughs> That's not how it works. It won't work that way. See? She's not any help. My wife's up there. She's tangled in the balloons. But, but that's what life starts to feel like, is we get this command to all of a sudden to, you know, we have to have families that are obedient. So we put on our happy faces, and we try to control, 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 control. And that's not what happens. The way that it should work is that in bringing freedom, there's no way I'm untangling that. I got to stay in one arm. And bringing freedom, guys, and leading our families, and leading our businesses, and leading in relationships, one of the realities, one of the principles that should exist is that there should not be an element within you that needs to control. There's nothing in Scripture that talks about you controlling anything. It's you having faith. It's you trusting God to develop and to grow and to bring freedom. You, standing on the rock of Jesus Christ, is the picture Scripture gives us. And through you, you see, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. Instead of ruling from above like this, Jesus laid down his life to serve, and he leads from below like this. And he empowers so that they can become, we can become who we were created to be. As a leader in your family, your role is to empower, to set free, to bring life, to lead like this, to sacrifice, to lay down your life, just like Christ did for the church. That's what we celebrate when we come to the communion table. We lay down, we talk about a reality that Jesus broke himself, poured himself out so that we could find freedom. Jesus laid himself down, 
broke himself, poured himself out so that we could do the same. That's the model. That's, that's, that's it. Doesn't get any more complicated than that. It's just willing. Are you willing to do it or not? Are you willing? Are you wanting to lead like Jesus led? Or do you want to lead like the world says to lead? Because when we lead like this, and we bring freedom, and we bring life, we don't have to wonder about our children wandering, about our, our wives straying. We don't have to worry because there's a loyalty that's created. You know, Lex and Paul bought a house here a few years ago, and, um, and it was a big step because they were, you know, they were like, we'll just see how it goes for a few years. You know, and they were renting. But then when they bought a house, I knew at that point that God had done, you know, enough in their life to where they were committed and excited to River City Church and the freedom that it was bringing them in their life. And I knew that their loyalty was solidified when they bought the house. And that how much I pay her is irrelevant, her and him. How, you know, how, how, whatever I do. The reason that they are at River City Church is because of their loyalty to the church. Because of the way the church has brought freedom and life and love and encouraged them to go for it. And out of their ministry, we have tons of songs about freedom, about healing. You know, Lexis, whole first year here, she came to me and she said, I can't quit writing about anything but healing. I keep writing songs about healing. It was because that's what God was doing in her life. But so many times in our businesses or in our families, guys, it translates, this translates. We feel the need to control and restrict. And the consequence is there's no freedom and there's no life and there's no loyalty. There's no love. There's obedience maybe until the next job comes, until the next church comes, until the next opportunity shows itself or the next husband or the next wife or the next boyfriend or whoever This is how Paul breaks it down for us theologically. A husband and wife should pursue their own joy and the joy of each other. This text makes it clear that the reason there's so much misery in marriage is not that husbands and wives are seeking their own pleasure, but that they are not seeking it in the pleasure of their spouses. But this text commands us to do just that because Christ does just that. In verses 25 and 27, notice the example of Christ. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why did he do this? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Why did he cleanse her? That he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ died for the church in order that he might present to himself a beautiful bride. He endured the cross for the joy of marriage that was set before him. So Christ sought his own joy and the joy of the church. Therefore, the example of Christ sets for husbands is to seek their own joy and the joy of their wives. You get that? Paul knows we're selfish. He says, oh, you're selfish. You're joyful. You want, to, you want joy? I'll give you joy. You'll be most satisfied when you, are, when you are satisfied in pursuing the joy of your wife, that's where your satisfaction will, will come from. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Paul knows. Paul knows the deal with us. Paul acknowledges one of our, our basic flaws. No man ever hates his own flesh. By nature, we love ourselves. That is, we do what we think in the moment will make us happiest. And Paul does not build a dam against the river of this pleasure, but builds a channel for it. He says, husbands and wives, recognize that in marriage, you have become one flesh. Therefore, if you live for your private pleasure at the expense of your spouse, you are living against yourself and destroying your own highest joy. But if you devote yourself with all your heart to the holy joy of your spouse, you will also be living for your joy and making a marriage after the image of Christ in his church. I mean, this, I mean, that, I mean this, is, this is like a big deal. For people who have been married, you want to get married, you, you're, you're in a relationship, or you don't have friends and you want friends. The fact that you, that you want friends is a demonstration that you're seeking joy for yourself. That's okay. That's normal. We're made to be in companionship. You know how you find friends? It's upside down by giving yourself away, not by taking from other people. Again, Jesus, his kingdom is upside down. You want to be first, you better be last. You want to be great, you got to be least. You want to, you want to find joy for your own flesh? You got to pursue the joy for hers. Same thing. It's jacked up. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't. So I'm teaching on it. Guys, I'm giving us all kinds of excuses, but I'm taking them away now. We got, I mean, this is clear. It's clear. We're selfish. Agreed? We desire to have joy and to, for our joy to be great joy in all kinds of ways. Christ is saying, I've prepared for that joy to be met within the relationship of your spouse. And again, this translates into your friendships if you're single, if you're, you know, you're not married anymore, whatever. This is, how, this is where life comes from. And Jesus lived this out. It's difficult. That's how it comes from. You know, I, I, I've had the opportunity to go on some pretty neat vacations with friends without my wife. And uh, it's been really fun to do triathlons in different parts of, you know, go cycling in England. Really cool stuff. And just the other day, you know, I was at a, a dinner and we were t- my wife and I and this other couple that I do things with, we we're talking about like some of the cool stuff. We, and we said, okay, what's, what are your best vacations? What's the best, the best trip you've ever done in your life? You know, both me and him, without hesitation, they were all with our wives. There are trips that we've done with our wives. Even though there wasn't the adventure and the craziness and the excitement that happened on some of those other trips, the reality was is that my joy, my greatest joy comes when I'm with Laura. When, whenever she is enjoying life, when she's discovering about, you know, finding life to the full, I get so excited. I get so excited. And it's sad because often our role as leader and our work compromises that joy more than anything, and we justify it. But again, guys, we can't, we just can't do it without Jesus. But he's given us a great example, an example to lay down our life. And this is in Romans five eighteen and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, this is going back to talking about Adam, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Talking about Jesus. And they call Jesus the second Adam. The Adam that that didn't screw up. The Adam that brought life instead of death. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by 
the one man's obedience, Christ, the many will be made righteous. You know, as, as men and as women, as, as people who are desiring to serve God, desiring to be good in our marriages, good in our relationships, it comes only through Christ. And today we celebrate a reality when we come to the communion table as a family. We recognize, man, we're just a bunch of selfish jerks, guys. And as women, we're, we recognize, I just want freedom, but I've been trying to find out of my own power, working my own plan for my life. I don't want to serve. I don't want to submit. I don't even want to know what those words mean. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard. But the way that it happens is by Christ. Christ is the only one that allows us to be people who can live lives that find great, their greatest joy in the joy of someone else. I thought it would be great for us to read this Colossians passage, and then we're going to move into communion. And I'll explain kind of how we're going to do that. And we're going to read this together. Let's read this. This is Colossians 1, 15 to 22. He is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Wait, 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 stop. When I say everyone reads it, that... There we go. Uh-huh. Here we go. Everyone. This is like a mantra. This is like, Yeah. It's cultish, but because it's the Bible, it's not. Okay? Here we go. Colossians 1, 15 to 22. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And it continues, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Who are you? Why has he done this? We read it in Ephesians. Because he has has laid down his life to remove from you every spot, to remove from you every blemish, to remove from you anything that would make you anything but the perfect bride that he has died for. You see, in Christ, we have the potential to become perfect. And in him, we, he sees us as perfect, without blemish, beautiful, serving, loving. And so when we come to the table today, we remember all these things that Jesus has done that make it possible for us to be good men and good husbands and good leaders and to make it possible for as wise for us to to learn what it means to rule alongside, to have power and authority, but not at the expense of the unique role that God has called us to. And so today as we come up, we'll, 
We'll give you a piece of bread, and we'll say, this is the body of Christ that's broken for you. And, this, and you'll dip it in the wine. We'll say, this is the blood of Christ that's shed for you. And again, we don't have ushers. We want you to come forward as you feel led by the Spirit. But I might encourage you to allow God, to, if you're a man, to, to lead you to a new place, wanting to serve and to love your wife differently if you're married. If you're single or if you're woman, a woman, you know, it's learning Saying to Jesus the same thing, I want to learn to love and to serve and to lay down my life. Show me what that looks like, Jesus. I want you to become the one who I find my strength in. There are no formulas or no strategies to making this happen. It's either we're trying to be like Jesus and allowing him to fill us and empower us to bring freedom in our life, or we're just going to keep being jerks. So let me pray for us. If you're a helper, just come on forward. And we'll have two stations in in the front, two stations in the back. Father, we're thankful for Jesus and what he's done on the cross for us. That he broke his body for us so that ours could be made whole. So that we could become the men and the leaders and the women and the rulers that he has made us and called us to be. And that we would not forget the price that he paid so that we could be made whole. And Father, we also remember that, again, that Jesus, holding up wine with his best friends before he was crucified, told them to not forget that through his blood, everything's new, that everything's possible, that it covers every spot, every blemish, every broken part of our heart, every wound that we have. Jesus, we want to be loyal to you. We want to serve you. Would you show us as we take your body, as we drink your blood, what it means, what it looks like to lay down our life in Jesus.